Well, good morning, and thank you. The treat is mine to be here. Um, thank you, Dee, for that introduction. But this really is a treat for me because this is coming back home for me. Um, now, this is where I was raised. This is where I was taught the gospel consistently, um, encouraged in the gospel. Um, this is where I was put up with by many of you. Um, thank you, Ken. Um, so this is sweet for me to be back here. I'm humbled and grateful to help. Um, I'm, I'm not grateful for the circumstances. I'm sorry for what your staff is going through right now and many of you. And it's unnerving and a disappointing time. And uh, uh, so I don't, I'm not appreciative of that, but I am grateful to be able to help and be here um, and open God's word with you and, and preach today. You know, when I, speaking of growing up here, I remember I would get, when I went off to college, went off to Baylor, after I graduated, um, I would get these notes from Sunday school classes that were praying for me at college. And I was very young and ignorant when I left, and um, that was evidenced by my grades that came out the first semester. And so when I would get those cards, it just reminded me. I think those ladies' groups and those Sunday school classes that prayed for me while I was at college, I think they prayed me to graduation. Uh, I don't know how else it happened. But I'm very thankful for how God has continued to use this church and continues to use you and your leaders and your staff members uh, and your deacons. And so it is very encouraging. When Matt told me that this was the love uh, Sunday, Advent Sunday, uh, that that was the theme for today, I thought, okay, well, we talked a few, about a few options on where to go with the sermon today. And then it hit me again how tricky the word love is because we use it for so much. We maybe overuse it. The word love, we, we use the word love when we're talking about the ones that are dearest to us, right? We love children. We love our grandchildren. We love our parents. Most of us love our parents. I won't speak for the teenagers in here today. But we also use the word love for tacos, so we've got this big, vast way that we use the word love. We have to be careful. And what I want us to do today is to look specifically at how we have been loved. If you'll open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 8, 9, and 10. I am going to have us go to a few other passages, to kind of uh, satellite passages that we will look at. But... The context for John here is encouraging the believers to love one another because how they've been loved. And so there's a beautiful three verses here where John shows us how we've been loved. And so let's read together in 1 John 4, verse 8, and I'll read it. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so the first point I want us to see here is that love was made manifest. 
And what John is talking about is the sending of Jesus, the showing up in the manger. You know, if you heard from someone consistently that they loved you, they told you all the time, hey, I love you, but never showed up, were never available, never cared to meet any of your needs, you would wonder if that was real love, wouldn't you? And you know, and I know, that the people who really love us, the people who we know love us, if we don't just hear it from them, they don't just proclaim it, they show up. And they're there when we really need them. And also, people who really love us know what we need and give us what we need, not always what we want. And that is what God did through Jesus in that manger when he shows up. People who really love us show up and do what they say they're going to do. And that's what our God has done in that manger. He shows up. He didn't just proclaim his love. He didn't just talk about and expect and, and um, yearn for our affection. He showed up to provide what we really needed. Maybe not what we always thought we needed or what we wanted, but he showed up to provide what we need. So let's look at it. Turn with me to Matthew. Let's look at that passage. Matthew chapter 1. And I believe it'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 1. And we will read... Uh, well, let's look at starting 21. And this is the story of Jesus showing up in Matthew's account. The angel has come to Mary and Joseph and told them what's going on, that she will have a baby. And goes on to say in verse 21, she, talking about Mary, will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. And so he's come to meet a need that we didn't even know we had. And that's how he's come to us. This is where the rescue mission begins. He's come to meet our greatest need. And so we need to think for a minute about what he didn't come to do. Jesus didn't just come to give us a moral code to live by. He didn't just come to give us that moral code so that we could live good lives and put on display how good we are or feel better about our current situation. And we have to be careful that we know that Jesus didn't come just to meet all our wants and needs. He came to meet our greatest need. And it's right there. Look at it again. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. And what? He will save his people from their sins. That is our greatest need. That's why he shows up. That's why he has come. He came to save us from our sins. And secondly, along with coming, when he shows up as baby Jesus in the manger, the backside of that is that there was a leaving. There was a leaving that took place. He left the presence of the Father to come here and be among us and come to save us from our sin and meet our greatest need. But there was a leaving that happened. And you don't turn, don't turn there, but in Genesis 2, 
What does God say? As soon as he creates the woman, and he says it'll be a suitable helper for the man, he says, for a, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And so God had designed this even at creation. Even at creation. The fix was in from the beginning that there would be a leaving and a loving. A leaving and a loving. He leaves the presence of the Father and it's loving that he would come here to connect with who? His bride. And so God's designed this from the very beginning. That he set it up that there would be a leaving and there would be loving. He would leave the Father and come to love us and save us from our sins. And that's how he has come to love us by leaving the Father. His manifestation was God's design from the beginning. This is a rescue mission to rescue us from our greatest need, which is salvation from our sin. Back to John 4. Let's, let's turn back over to John, 1 John chapter 4. So number one, his love was manifested. He showed up. He has shown up. Number two, he loved us first. Verse 9 again, 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, and that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son. Not that we have loved God by sending Jesus. It was the manger where this mission began. And this is important to get clear. That he loved us first. Not that we loved him. He loved us first. Not because of any affection that we sent his way. He loved us uh, before we knew how to love him. And he loved us before we knew what we needed. It wasn't until he took the scales from our eyes and showed us our greatest need that we even knew And so he loved us first. He's the one that took us by the nape of the neck and pulled us back to keep us from destroying ourselves and our own sin. And that's loving. That he would love us first because that means he loved us at our worst. Right? He loved us at our worst before we knew how to do anything right and good and righteous. He loved us first And that changes things for us. It means that because he loved us first and because he didn't love us, it's not conditional. Right? It's not conditional upon how I move, how good I am, how much I fail, or how few times I fail. His love loved me first and he loved me at my worst. And so there's nothing I can do, there's nothing you can do that can lose that love. And that's that should give you great confidence and hope this season and today, that he loved you first, he loved me first, and it's not anything, have anything to do with how we've loved him. His love is there, and his love showed up first. And he, he loved us first so that it's not conditional. And we don't have to walk around wondering, does he still love me? We haven't been loved because of any sort of affection we directed towards him. None at all. There is nothing that you and I can do to lose it. There is a certainty to his love that wasn't waiting for us to love him first before he would rescue us. 
He wasn't waiting for us to love him before he rescued us. He came, he showed up to rescue us from our sin before we did anything to earn it, anything to move him to love us. He loved us. Remembering this guards us from something. Remembering that he loved us first, it guards us from allowing shame to destroy us. Here's what I mean by that. When you fail, when I fail, when we mess up, because he loved us first, he's not going to stop loving us. Because he loved me at my worst, when I fail, I go back to him in repentance. And there's love and forgiveness. He is abounding in steadfast love, the Bible tells us. He loves to forgive. He is abounding in steadfast love, and we go back to him via repentance. Now, if we don't, and if we don't remember that he's loved us first, we can very easily slip into believing that when we fail, when we don't hit the mark, and when we mess up or make a mess of things, we can very easily sit in condemnation and shame, can't we? And that sitting in that condemnation and shame is a direct path to destroying your life and destroying those around you. But we don't take that path. He has made a path for us to come back to him in repentance because he loved us first. I hope that encourages you. That that knowledge, that truth that John is sharing with us, that he loved us first, guards us and makes a way for us to come back to him. And we find love. His first love gives us a path through repentance. The third thing that John shows us here is that he has loved us well. He has loved us well. Look at verse 10 again. In this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? Propitiation for our sin. It means that he took on the wrath of God. It means that he is our substitute. It means that we didn't deserve anything but God's wrath. We deserve death. We were born into it. And Jesus came, showed up, loves us first, and takes our place. He is our substitute. We were deserved the penalty of death, and he took God's wrath on him. That's what propitiation means. So we've been loved by a God who shows up. We've been loved by a God who loved us first and loved us at our worst. And now we've been loved by a God who selflessly loved us by taking God's wrath in our place. And that's important to remember that he didn't just haplessly die on the cross hoping that someone would love him or hoping that someone would receive his love. No, he came for us and he gave up his life. He was, this is a selfless love. He didn't accidentally die. It wasn't a hapless, I hope, well, they got him, and now I hope that people will receive him. His love was definite, and his love was selfless. selfless. I want to read a passage to you. Don't, don't turn it. I'll kind of explain what happened. This, I love Numbers chapter 14, verse 17 and 18. It illustrates perfectly what happened when he gave himself selflessly. For us. Listen to Numbers 14, verse 18. 
The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but, by will, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. How can those two things go together? How can it say that he is abounding in steadfast love? How can it say that he is slow to anger? And yet, he wants to pour the iniquity on those that are guilty to their children, to the third and the fourth. He wants compounded punishment on those that are guilty. How can those both be? And here's what I want you to see. What happened in his propitiation, what happened at the cross that started in the manger, this is how the mission culminated. Because he is both a just God and a loving God. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is slow to anger, but he will by no means on this hand clear the guilty. And that makes him just. And so this is what happened. He takes his love and slow to anger and he places that on us. And he takes the iniquity, compounded punishment, and he places that on Jesus at the cross. Do you see that? Isn't that sweet? Isn't that encouraging that he would not just haplessly die and hope, but that he took the wrath and iniquity. He took our punishment. And that's how we can say our God is good and he is loving and he is just. We have a good, loving, just God. His life wasn't haplessly taken from him. He also had the authority to do this. He had the authority to do this. He was obedient to the Father, but he had the authority to lay his life down. Turn, brief, turn quickly to John chapter 10. I want you to see this. John chapter 10. I want you to hear it from Jesus himself. Verse 17 and 18. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Because he had the authority to do this, you should feel loved. It wasn't just taken from him. He had the authority to lay down his life for you and for me. Not only did he have the authority to do it, he loved us enough to take our place. A selfless love. I hope you feel loved when you hear that. That it wasn't just taken from him. He did it with authority. He laid his own life down. And his own life was taken back up. So, I hope you feel love this morning. I hope you see that love, even though we use it in so many ways, God's love directed at us is definite and specific and it's sweet. And there is no other love. You will find no other love. You will never be loved like this in any other context. But a good God that loves us by showing up, a good God that loves us first, loves us at our worst, 
And then he loves us well by selflessly dying for us. So when you see that manger the rest of the week, the rest of the couple weeks, remember the rescue mission. When you see a manger, remember where it began. He showed up. He showed up to love us first and to love us well. So where do we go from here? You can say, Brad, that's great that he loves us and and I see that he loves us first, he loves us well, and I'm encouraged by that. But what do we do now? What do we do with that? Well, first of all, what a love to share, right? What a love to take the knowledge that this is the way that you and I've been loved and you can't find it anywhere else. That's the love we want to share with others. And secondly, we're waiting for another coming. And so this love, being loved like this, should give you hope that he'll do it again. He showed up once, he loved us first, and he loved us well, and he will do it again. I think about Romans 8 with as unnerving and disappointing as the times are right now and what's going on all around us. It reminds me of of, uh, Romans 8. All creation was groaning, waiting for full revelation of God, for Him to complete, make everything right. So the creation groans. And then it says, Paul says, and we groan inwardly because of futility all around us. And I think 2020 has been, has given us many examples and lessons of futility, hopelessness, fear. And yet we as Christians, we groan inwardly for that day that he will come back and make everything right. And so while groaning in Romans 8, Paul says, while you're groaning, we groan, but we have hope. And we have hope because we've been loved well. And I hope that you are sharing this with your family and that you're sharing this with those around you and that we are a people that will walk and move into our daily lives sharing this love and sharing this hope. Before we pray, I just want you to know that the elders of this church will be outside uh, during this time of um, reflection that we're about to have. We're going to have another worship song and a time of reflection. And just know that if you you need prayer, um, if you need to talk to someone today about what you've heard here about God's love, um, please, they're available. Please go to them uh, for prayer. Uh, that's why they are, they're here, and that's why they're making themselves available. So as, as we pray, uh, if you need to move towards uh, them, they'll be outside the worship center, and, um, and then reflect together. Let's reflect together over what God's Word has said about how we've been loved as we respond uh, in worship. Would you pray with me? Father, you have loved us so well. Thank you for the reminder that you loved us at our worst. I do pray that you would keep us a people that loves one another, but that we would not lose hope in this season just because of how well you've loved us. 
Thank you that we were saved from your anger, from your wrath, from your punishment, and that we were saved by you. You are good. You are loving. Thank you for giving us what we needed and didn't know what we needed. Thank you for giving us what we didn't deserve. And I pray that we will be a people that doesn't just come to you with our wants, but worships you because you've provided what we needed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.